Law, liberty, and life in Jesus. Knowing how it all works. We're getting there, working our way through the book of Galatians. I want to talk to you this morning, the little subtitle, The Battle for Holiness Inside Our Own Skins and How It Can Be Won. The text is Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 18. This is a really, I hope I can do a good job because it's, it's a really important subject that we're looking at today. It's, it's one of those milestone, I don't mean great in, because of me, it's, it's a milestone text. And the principle is, is so crucial to understanding the Christian life and how it works. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. The flesh is not just the part of you you can put on a scale and weigh. It, it's, it's the inner you, the desires, the motivations that make you tick. Your, your natural inner being, apart from the Spirit of God, that walks around inside these containers, the, the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, 17, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So that you, you don't do what you want. I'm arguing that, that that means whether you choose to walk in the Spirit or the flesh, you never fully do what you want. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want, 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. As we finished last Sunday morning's study, we noted Paul's striking words in Galatians 5.14, where he says, The whole law is fulfilled in one statement. And then he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. That's an amazing statement. And, and if you think about it for a while, it raises another difficult question. If you think this solves the problem, it really doesn't. How am I better off being told that instead of trying to keep the whole law, what I really have to do is love my neighbor as myself? Which of those two do you think is easier to do? Love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Think about those words. I am to care about my neighbor's unemployment as much as I love my own job. I am to be as concerned about and work as hard to alleviate my neighbor's hunger as much as I love eating my own food. I am to lay down my life to reach the lost as much as I enjoy worshiping Jesus. 
I am to actually enjoy giving away my wealth to God's kingdom as much as I enjoy renovating my house or flying to Miami in February. Who can do this? Who can do this? My point here isn't to lay condemnation on anyone. I'm talking to me, too. I'm simply trying to point out that anyone who thinks that's a simple command, love your neighbor as yourself, they only think it's simple because they haven't taken the time to think through all the details of what that means. It's incredibly demanding. What is Paul doing here? After just describing the wonderful freedom we now have in Christ Jesus, is he merely substituting one kind of behavior for some others? I mean, how much easier is it to love my neighbor as much as I love myself? How is that easier than circumcision, dietary regulations, and some Old Testament laws? Which is easier to do? How am I better off? How am I freer this way? Those are the issues of our text. And they're important because, as we all know, there are some sincere and dear people who constantly have a hard time trying to make the Christian life work. They find so many conflicting desires inside their own skins. They feel pulled in so many different directions. Some, maybe, are just waiting for God to lift them up and transport them into a realm where they can become the kind of Christian they want to be but can't figure out how to get there. These verses, that's what these verses are about. Point number one. Here are some of the principles that we need to think through. There is no power to overcome the downward pull of the flesh in religious regulations or personal willpower alone. I say then, Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Those words kind of hearken directly back to Paul's words in 5.13. If you have Bibles at home, make sure you look these verses up. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love. So, our freedom in Christ, it must be understood as freedom from sin. Never freedom from the will of God. Right? It's freedom from sin. It's not freedom from following Christ. We are, as Christians set free from the law as a means of earning merit before God. We're set free to follow God without condemnation. We are set free to love God with all our hearts and love our neighbor as ourselves. But there's a problem with this freedom. While we're free from the law, free from condemnation, we, we really aren't free, and we're not promised to be free 
from some of these desires of the flesh that we carry around. The flesh, in Paul's writing, is uh, it's the final confidence that we put in ourselves. Either to earn righteousness before God through our keeping of the law, that's one manifestation of the flesh, or two, to cast off all law and pursue our own wills and our own desires in our own way. The casting off of any restraint. So the pride of the flesh in keeping the law or the licentiousness of the flesh to do our own thing. And neither one of those are going to work. Those are both manifestations of the flesh. One is proud, earning our merit. One is reckless. I'm free to just do my own thing. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm free. So overcoming the desires of the flesh, it's not as easily solved as we might think. I mean, it is, it is no good simply to tell people, just choose to follow Christ by a sheer act of the will. We do that a lot. Because it's precisely the will that's been corrupted and weakened by the desires of the flesh. To, to just instruct people, give them information, and tell them to choose Christ over sin is like telling a pig to grow wings and fly. It's not going to work. We need more than instruction. There's a place for instruction, but people are never going to be educated out of their sin. We need help. The help we need, Paul says, the help we get is the ability increasingly to have the Holy Spirit do work in our hearts. The place where the choice to follow Christ must be made, that's where the Holy Spirit has to work. Long ago, a very precious promise was made to God's people. A large promise, a beautiful promise. And it was a promise tailored, tailored to meet this issue of the flesh and the power of the desires of the flesh to take our will captive. God knew this was our problem and gave this promise. It's in Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching, look, I will put it within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. I will, I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sins. Now this part is the forgiveness part down here. This first part, this isn't forgiveness. This is sanctification. This is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit isn't mentioned. He's talking about just writing, writing his will on our hearts. But it's the same subject that he's dealing with. 
Wonderful news, this, and it, and it gets to where I have to live. God said he was going to take the external code, the instruction, and replace it with an internal power. And that power, Paul says, is the Holy Spirit. There's, there's absolutely no way anyone can overcome the downward pull of his own sinful desires, nor fulfill the law of love, love your neighbor as yourself. No one's going to be able to do either of those things without the indwelling, empowering Spirit of God. Point number two. Paul describes the day-to-day -day living of the Christian life as a conflict of opposing forces. I just couldn't think of an easier way to say it. He talks about that in 517. The flesh desires what is against the Spirit. He's not talking about bank robbers here. He's talking about ordinary people. The flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. Look at the wording. These are opposed to each other. So that you do not do what you want. I think while those verses describe a, a painful kind of a process, they should all be taken as also a word of encouragement. They're, they're given to help us understand that this process of inner struggle, please hear this, this process of inner struggle is not a sign of God's absence. It is a sign of God's presence. He's setting something up in our beings. The worst sins, the worst sins are the sins that we commit in serenity. Presumptuous sins, Davis called those. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to come into my heart and set up an internal conflict with the desires of the flesh. In fact, Paul says that each of those poles in my being is, is working to exclude the other. They never mingle. There is no truce. That's why Paul says in such uh, permanent terms, he says these are, look at 517, these are in opposition. Or here in the CSB, they are opposed. It's, it's in the continuous tense. This is ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. In other places, the New Testament, the desires of the flesh are described in terms that are designed to wake up their extreme uh, toxicity to my being. Peter, Peter paints these same desires of the flesh. He uses different terms, but he, he, he paints them as militant terrorists. Look at 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Look, what do they do? Say that. They wage war against the soul. Whose soul? Mine? Yours? 
think, think right now. Think right now of what you're watching daily as you see Russia ravaging the Ukraine. Peter says, think about this. Peter says, those fallen desires that we all carry around, that we get used to living with, Peter says, that's what they're doing. Flamethrowers, bombs. That, that's what your desires want to do regularly. Not one time. Now, right now, you have desires in you. I have them in me. And they are like Russia on the Ukraine against my walk with Jesus. And the, the problem is our culture, predominantly through the media, gets us very used to accepting all of these fallen desires. And they're waging war on the life of the Holy Spirit in all of us. Peter wants us to see it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to get it. That's why he uses that kind of language. Waging warfare. Then back in our Galatians text, 5.17, Paul says, here's the problem with these opposing forces. He says, so that you, you don't do what you want. In a moment of absolute honesty, I'd like everyone who has ever had a moment where you, you really didn't do what you felt you should have done. You really didn't do what you wanted to do. Let me see your hand. Have you ever had one minute like that? Yeah. The rest of you are lying. Now comes the interesting question. Does Paul mean, now follow this, does Paul mean as we are led by the Spirit, we cannot do the things that would please the desires of the flesh? Or does he mean that when we cater to the desires of the flesh, we really can't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Paul makes no distinction. It's the two that are opposed to each other. Whichever way you go, you exclude the other. What Paul says, what he means to say is that whenever we choose, this is how it works in your life. Whenever we choose and whatever way we choose, there will always be a part of us that won't initially like it in moral choices. My opinion is, if we're honest, we all know that to be the case. When, as Christians, we choose carelessly to cater to the desires of the flesh, there is a part of us that says, good, that's what we wanted to choose. There's another part of us that says, oh, that's not pleasing Jesus. So you, you, you go in a direction you shouldn't go because that's where you wanted to go. Nobody forced you to. But when you choose to the flesh, you have that nagging, the Holy Spirit, Oh, Jesus, what was I thinking? There's pain the other way, though, too. When we do deny the flesh and yield to the Holy Spirit, we know ultimately we're doing the right thing, but there's still a part of ourself that feels like it's being refused, it's being rejected, it's not being catered to. We feel 
out of step as we yield to the Spirit and not to the flesh. We instantly feel out of step with a lot of our friends who aren't Christians. We feel alienated. We feel alone, especially in that university class, wherever we are, at work, following the Spirit. There's a, there's a, you feel out of sync with the values of the culture, for sure. You feel like an alien. Whichever way you choose, there's going to be some reluctant part that gets dragged along. When you choose to the flesh, you sense instantly you're not pleasing the Spirit. When you choose to the Spirit, there's a big chunk of you that feels out of sync with the way everybody else seems to be living life. What are you missing that they're getting? Remember, this battle itself is not a sign that you're unholy. It's, it's a sign that God's Spirit is present. It's there. It's at work in your heart. Paul is simply calling us to remember how we are constituted as persons and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the person who just stands still until the waves of glory carry him into wonderful Christian holiness is going to wait a long time. A long time. Point number three. In the life of the Spirit, you have to walk before you can be led. And I want to, I want to point out where I get those terms. I think Paul uses two terms. And I really, even if you don't normally look up verses for yourself, don't just read these on the screen. If you've got a Bible or an iPhone or an iPad, mark these verses. They are crucial verses. Paul uses a term to describe my role in holiness and he uses another term to describe the Spirit's role in my holiness. Here are the two texts. 5.16 I say then, here's term one. That's one. Walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's term one. Term two. But if you are led by the Spirit, that's two. You are not under the law. So there was, if you remember, walk, led. Isn't that beautiful writing? My own feeling is Paul is not merely using two different words to say the same thing. The two terms are almost the same, but not quite. I think Paul is moving on to deal with the heart of the issue that we all need to grasp. If the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes living the Christian life doable, remember the promise from Jeremiah? If it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes the Christian life doable, well, how does that happen in my life? I need to make this work. And a big part of the answer to that question lies in understanding that it's, it's a mistake to try and do what only the Holy Spirit can do in my life. And it's a mistake to wait for the Holy Spirit to do in my life what God has called me to do. Okay? And I think that's why Paul uses those two terms. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Have you ever tried to lead someone 
anywhere who refuse to move. Can you just sense the impossibility of that? So Chris, come on up here for a second. So we're going to, I want to lead Chris and Chris doesn't want to go. We're going we're to go, we're going to go to my office. No, no we're going to go to the office. This isn't going to work, is it? I mean, sure. I know what you think. I could slap him over my shoulders and just carry him. Okay, you're. It's a difficult thing to try and lead someone who refused to move. Paul says we are to walk in the Spirit. And you make that choice to walk. Some, some kind of personal energy is required. We must choose the path of Christ. We must refuse countless options of my own pleading, conniving, self-justifying desires. This isn't sanctification by works. Can we do these things in our own strength, all of these things? No, not for a minute. But being led by the Spirit follows the choice to walk. Power follows choice. Choice won't get it done all by itself. But power follows choice. There has to be a commitment. He will never make the choice for me to walk. The choice is mine. The resources are his. I know that sounds simple. It gets missed over and over again. There are too many examples to be even begin to list. Everything works this everything works this way in the realm of the spirit. We can do our part and we must do our part in order for him to do his. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the power of the Word alive so that it's feeding, transforming. But only I can make the choice to go to church. Only I can make the choice to study my Bible. The Holy Spirit can renew my mind. Only I can make the choice to turn off the TV and pick up the New Testament. And for those of you who are thinking about coming back to church, like, wake up. Wake up. Remember, you choose, walk, the Holy Spirit empowers, led. Point number four. How can I make a good start right where I am? We're almost done. I said earlier that everything starts with the choice to walk. But even that doesn't quite get at the whole thing. I mean, no one makes a totally cold, detached choice. We, we choose certain things because in some obvious ways or less obvious ways, we choose certain things because we're motivated to make that choice. So, so I want to get back to the roots, back to square one in our search for being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to look at what, what, what is behind the choice. What makes us 
choose to walk in the Spirit when Paul already says we're going to be dragging a big chunk of the flesh around with us? And the answer to that key question was hinted at earlier in this very epistle. When, when Paul saw these Galatian believers being tempted to revert to the law, remember the false teachers coming from Jerusalem, he calls their attention, these new Christians, he calls their attention to their conversion, how they started. He did that, we looked at it in Galatians 3, 2 and 3. He says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning in the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Key for our discussion right now is the way Paul uses two terms like, like they're the same thing. He talks about, okay, that's not what I wanted to do. Just a minute. I can take that out. He talks about two things. He talks about believing what you heard, and he talks about beginning in the Spirit. So he looks at these Christians, okay? He doesn't want them falling into false teaching. So he talks about their conversion. And it's interesting, he uses two terms as though they're exactly the same thing. He uses two terms talking about their conversion. Believing what you heard, the hearing of faith, some translations will say, and beginning in the Spirit. The life in the Spirit and the hearing of faith seem to be, in Paul's mind, the same thing. The hearing of faith is what pleases the Spirit and what yields to the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who empowers us to overcome the flesh and fulfill the requirements of the law. So the hearing of faith is what motivates the walk in the Spirit. We're not out on a limb here. We're not out on a limb with this teaching. Peter makes it even plainer, the exact same idea. Just so you follow me, what I'm saying is this power to walk in the Spirit. You make the choice to walk, the Spirit leads. But, but what motivates? What, what, what helps me to make that choice? And I'm saying, Paul shows from that Galatians text that when these people started off their Christian life, beginning in the Spirit and believing what they heard, he says that, that's the same thing. So what I'm saying now is believing the hearing of faith, believing God's Word is what opens the door to the work of the Spirit in my heart. I want to show you now that it's not just Paul who says this. 2 Peter 1, 2-4 May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Here's the money verse. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises. Remember Paul talked about 
believing what you heard, the hearing of faith, how that opens up the power of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. Peter says, you've been given promises. Now look what he says, the result of believing these promises. Look what Peter says. That through them, what's the them? Say it out loud. Yeah, that's, that's those things. The promises that we, the promises. That through them, look at, you may, you wouldn't believe this, share in the divine nature. Does that sound like the Holy Spirit? Share in the divine nature. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of, does this sound like the flesh to you? He's saying exactly what Paul says. The hearing of faith. Now, putting a bow on it. If you want to increase your capacity, if you want to increase your willingness to walk in the Spirit so your life will be led in the power of the Spirit, here's what you should do. Regularly, constantly, get this book out. Get this book out and find promises. Look for promises. Mark your Bible. Circle every precious promise you see. Don't go to sleep that night without reading five or ten promises. What will happen? Well, you may share in the divine nature. Escape the corruption of evil desires. Are you doing it by yourself? No. The Holy Spirit. But that's why Paul says to these Galatian Christians that the Holy Spirit, you began in the Spirit by believing what you heard. Peter says the divine nature comes through believing, claiming the precious promises. You won't get this from Netflix. Believe that his word is precious. Believe there is more fullness of joy in his presence than in the highest paid job in Canada. Believe that his word is really more precious than the price of gold when the market closes. Believe that it is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord and in church than to have seats at a Leafs game. Believe that if you diligently seek his kingdom and righteousness first, everything about your whole life will be better than if you try and seek him second. Believe it. Believing, not just positive thinking. Believe, I'm not talking about just get on the sunny side of the street and think nice thoughts. I'm talking about anchoring in divine promise. Take the time, make the effort. You'll find yourself choosing to walk in the Spirit and more and more, you're going to find your life led by the Spirit and you can start to fly higher in your Christian walk than you ever imagined. That was a lot to absorb. Do you feel like you got at least a chunk of it? All right, all right. We don't want to be scrambling around trying to make moral adjustments in our lives by ourselves. There's a pattern. We want our lives to be led by the Spirit, and so we will choose to walk. And that walk will be motivated by faithfully learning the promises of God that you respond to. And so bless the truth of your word to our hearts.
I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.